Colossians 1, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of all the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for giving us this day, Lord. Just a day to come together to worship you, to give you honor and glory that you deserve. Lord, as we open up this book of Colossians, I pray that you will reveal to us and guide us in what you desire for us to learn. Lord, I pray that as we, as we open up your word, that you will give us a stronger desire to, to know more about your word, God, and to be able to handle your word faithfully and to love your word and cherish your word in our hearts, Lord. God, I ask that you give us all the courage to be able to go forth and to share the gospel with others. Pray that you allow us to hear this passage this morning to give us conviction and grace and encouragement, Lord. We need you to guide us and lead us to the cross. And in your precious name we pray, amen. You may take a seat. So for those who have been attending our church for less than three years, it is common practice and, and our pattern is to go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. So if you've known, Pastor Travis has been leading us through the book of John. And then what would typically happen in, in, our, in our normal pattern is we would have our preaching pastor lead us through the book, but then the, the elders would also separately open up a, a separate book and lead us through um, verse by verse. Now, I was curious about when the last time we, we opened up a, a new book of the Bible, and I did preach Haggai chapter 1, and then shortly after that, that turned into a, sort of a, a, a book of the Bible that we preached. That wasn't really intentional, though. It was, it was just a really short two-chapter book that we just decided, oh, we, we preached or half of it. Let's just finish it up. Um, but the last time that the elders formally opened up a book and, and preached through it, it was actually Jason Lekowitz on September 1st of 2019 who preached the last couple verses of James. Oops, sorry. So with that said, Jason and two elder candidates, Ben Bridges and, and myself, so the three of us, will begin preaching through this book of Colossians. And just as we need, all of us need the word of God preached to us, so does Pastor Travis. Now, the blessing of having multiple pastors is that our pastor is accountable to someone. Because our church has a plurality of elders, our pastor has a pastor. Our preaching pastor also needs the word of God preached to him. He also needs to be reminded of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the ability to have multiple men preach through the word is not just a blessing to Pastor Travis, but it's also a blessing to each and every one of you. Though I acknowledge 
that I'm not as, as talented and is not as good of a preacher as Pastor Travis is. It is good for our church to know that we are actively training up and raising up men in the body to come up and to faithfully handle the word of God. Now, as we look at this, as we start to open up this book of Colossians and open up this first couple verses here, I want you to listen to three main points that will come out of this text this morning. So point number one, point number one, we'll hear the Lord communicate through his word. Hear the Lord communicate through his word. So Colossians, first three verses, opens up and it reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. The book of Colossians was written to the church in Colossae. Now, now for this opening to make sense and to understand why Paul wrote this letter, I want to share with us a brief background of the church of Colossae. So Paul is is writing specifically to the Christians here in Colossae. He he desires for them to stand firm against the false teachings that the Christians are being exposed to. Now more specifically, Paul is writing to the church because certain Christians have adopted a philosophy that stands in direct contradiction to the Christian worldview that must be adopted if you place your identity in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 18 In Colossians, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. As we read and we study through this book of Colossians, we don't know exactly, uh, Paul doesn't lay out exactly what the false teachings are, but when they read chapter 2, verse 18, the church would have known what Paul was alluding to. Now, Colossae was regarded as being the center of a thriving textile industry with high-quality dark red wool. wool sorry. And because of this, because of this textile industry, it, Colossae was very well-traveled. It was diverse, and majority of the people that lived there were Gentiles, but there was a good number of Jews that also resided here. In verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul writes that it was among the Gentiles that God chose to make known his mystery. Now, when we open up a new book in the Bible, we might not expect to learn or see much in the opening of a letter. But Paul, he makes a very profound statement. Verse 1, the very couple uh, words we read, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, this Paul, Paul is the infamous Paul that we all know about. This is the same Paul who approved the stoning of Stephen. This is the same Paul that persecuted Christians. This is the same Paul that had his name changed from Saul to Paul, and the same Paul that had his heart changed by the Lord on his way to Damascus. Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul as the Messiah, and then he commanded Paul to go out and to preach the gospel. Now, in this opening, Paul uses a word that is accredited to him only by Jesus Christ. And in this word that, is, that Paul 
uses, it also gives them the authority in which to write this book. Paul uses the word apostle. Well, what is an apostle? How did Paul become an apostle? Throughout the reading of Scripture, this word apostle has various meanings. It can mean a messenger. It can mean an accredited missionary. Now, now both of those meanings, they do apply themselves to Paul. But most accurately, when Paul uses this word apostle, he uses it to mean a person called directly by Christ to represent and to proclaim the Lord. Paul says it is by the will of God that this letter was written. See, the Lord, he desired the Christians at Colossae to receive the message that Paul brought to them. See, there's more to this opening letter, though. Paul also says that Timothy is with him. Now, it is unlikely that Timothy had much to do with the writing of the contents of this letter. And if we remember, it was Timothy that is being trained up by Paul. Timothy was known as Paul's protege. Now, Paul, throughout this opening, he uses familial language to describe his relationship with Timothy. But he also uses this familial language to describe his relationship and his, and his care for other believers, really in an other ministry, or to another ministry other than his own. Verses 1 and 2, Paul uses this term, he says, brother. He's showing his heart towards the church when, when he uses familial language. He cares for their overall well-being. And it's important that the Lord, he wants us to see that. Now, if we've been brought into God's family, in Sunday school we talked a little bit about adoption. If we've been brought into God's family, that means we are all together united in unity. Now, we ask ourselves, well, what is our relationship with other believers? Right? Does, does our relationship with other believers does it look like and reflect that of a relationship of a good family? Do you sacrifice for other believers? Do you mourn when they mourn? Do you rejoice when they rejoice? We ought to treat one another like a good family treats one another. And Paul, he gives us evidence that he cares for their, all, for their overall well-being by writing to them and greeting them with a benediction. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. This type of blessing is not unusual for this time. See, grace is, is a gift, a favor that one does not deserve. And peace is being comforted without hostility. So he's praying, Paul's praying that the church continues to grow and to develop. And Paul desires that the Lord will use the church in Colossae to further advance the gospel. Remember, the first point is, hear the Lord communicate through his word. Hear the Lord communicate through his word. Paul wrote this letter, this book, under the authority and the blessing of God. Paul's writing with the authority and the blessing of Jesus Christ. It was Christ who willed Paul to write this letter. Now, a common question that's I know I've asked and I, and I hear asked all the time is, well, how can I hear the word of the Lord? It, has any of you guys ever asked that question? How do I hear the word of the Lord or how do I hear God's voice? I see a couple heads nodding. 
See, God, he's already revealed to us what he desires for us to know. The Bible, his word is complete. His word is perfect. His word is good. And the Bible, when we open it up, the Bible is the direct revelation. And it tells the redemptive purpose that God has from his children, from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. Now, if you, if you want to know and if you desire to know what the Lord is trying to communicate, open up his word. Read his word. Hear him communicate through the infallible scriptures. Okay? Well, what about other claims of hearing from God? What about supernatural dreams or revelations or experiences, visions, feelings? list can go on. Now, I want to be honest and I want to be really hospitable here. Many people have made claims like this, right? And these claims that a lot of people have made, these claims are not claims that can be found throughout the book of the Bible or throughout the Bible. Now, I can't explain why other people may have experienced these things, or, or nor can I explain what maybe you have experienced, but I do know one thing for sure, and that is that the only way that we can be absolutely sure that we have correctly understood the word of understood what the Lord is trying to communicate is by opening up his word and rightly understanding it and applying it to our lives. Now this is my desire for not just all of us, but really my desire for any Christian throughout the entire world is to have the utmost respect and love for the word of God. The Bible should change all facets of our life. It should change and impact how we love our wives, how we love our husbands, how we love our kids. It should impact the type of employers and employees that we are. It should affect how we think about marriage and sex and gender. It should affect how we vote and think of our public officials. See, the, the Bible impacts everything. It must. So how do you view the Bible? What can you do to treasure the word in your heart more and more? Point number two. Point number two. Praise God for the advancement of the gospel. Praise God for the advancement of the gospel. Colossians 1, verses 3 through 5 read, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Paul and Timothy, they're thankful that the Lord, we're thankful to the Lord that he he has spread the gospel into the church of Colossae. So a little bit more history for you. Paul has never been to Colossae and he will probably never go to Colossae before his death. He did not know the people of this church, but he prays for them anyways. And in Paul's greeting to them, he makes a significant theological claim that alludes to what sort of false teaching that this church may have been exposed to. If we go on and further read Colossians, you would read how the church was being influenced to believe how Jesus was somewhat less than God. Now, now Paul's wording here is extremely deliberate when he says, the Father of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. He says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is telling the Colossian church that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ has a unique and a personal relationship with God the Father. Paul, in a few verses later, in in verses 12 through 14, Paul attributes the work of redemption to the Father who works in and through the Son, Jesus Christ. See, he's not making a distinction between the Father or the Son. Paul's saying here that they are one and the same essence. Just a side note and probably a brief tangent about the Trinity. Trinity can be hard to explain and understand because even the best explanations that we have will never be sufficient or good enough to explain how miraculous and how glorious the Lord is. The three persons of the Trinity eternally exist as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. However, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Confusing, I know. These three persons have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having whole divine essence without the essence being divided. I said this in, in growth class a, a few weeks back. The Trinity becomes very confusing very quickly. But what I want to warn each of us of doing is trying to explain the Trinity using an analogy. Right? Every analogy we can possibly think of, uh, the most popular one I hear a lot is well, the analogy of the ice cube or the water. And using these analogies, the very definition of, of trying to explain the Trinity by using these sorts, of, these sorts of analogies, you actually end up committing an ancient form of heresy. Now, if you want to understand that a little bit more, you can talk to me afterwards, but for sake of time, just stop using analogies. Just don't do it. It's not wise. See, all these... All these Analogies that you can use, they quickly teeter on a very, very fine line of affirming heretical claims. Don't use analogies to teach, attempt to teach the Trinity to your children. Don't use analogies to try to teach them to a new Christian. Teach them the truth. Now, even if grasping the truth is difficult at first, and the Trinity is difficult to understand, it's easier to expound upon a very simple truth than it is to later go back and say, hey, remember what I said about how the Trinity is a form of water? Yeah, we're going to debunk that now because I was a heretic. See, it's, it's easier to just be simple, expound upon a little truth, than it is to go back and try to teach what was wrong and then try to fix it later. Keep your Trinity explanation simple and short. Tangent over. So going back to Colossians 1 and chapter 4, we mustn't miss that Paul affirms that Jesus Christ is God. Because Christ is the object of the faith, love, and hope that they all know about because of the gospel. These three words that Paul uses, faith, love, and hope, these are three principal virtues that are found in the life of all believers. Faith, love, and hope. See, the faith in God is displayed 
through their love towards the saints of the church. Galatians 5, 6 reads, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul suggests in his letter to the Galatian church that the faith is shown and is active when we show love for others. True faith is a living and active thing that produces love. We already know that Paul has commanded this church for being kind and loving towards other brothers and sisters within the church. And what we can do, we can love one another by serving one another. Now, this last virtue that Paul mentions is hope, but not just any hope. He says, hope that is laid up for you in heaven. See, this, the happiness of heaven is the hope for those who put their faith and trust in the Lord. Titus 2, verse 13 reads, Our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll read that again. It's Titus chapter 2, verses 13. Our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the object of this hope that Paul is alluding to is stored up in heaven. Or, I'm sorry, the object of the hope that is stored up in heaven is Jesus Christ himself. Now, we get to spend eternity with the Lord over all creation. The, the Lord who creates and sustains all things and the one who has saved us from our sins. The hope that is promised is not an earthly hope. It's much better than any earthly hope that we can have. But the hope that is promised to us is something better than we can ever imagine. Right? As Christians, we need to be more heavenly focused. We need to remember that this earth is not a permanent resting place. This blessed hope that is promised to us we will, will be revealed to us when we can look upon the Savior and we can worship him eternally in heaven. But see, this church, church at Colossae, they, they already know this. Colossians 1.4 reads, See, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. This is the gospel that Paul and, and Timothy have already been preaching, has gone forth and has reached this church. And, and Paul and Timothy have heard great things about how this church is responding. It was through the gospel that's being shared that the church knows, that this church knows about placing their faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, they know what it means to love and, ha- and how to treat other believers. They, they know about this future hope that has been promised to them. So as Christians hearing this message, how are we to respond? Well, this church heard about this, this hope by the sharing of the gospel. Remember, this church that Paul's writing this letter to, he, he's never been there before. But Paul, he, he hears about their faith and their love and how they're responding to this hope that is promised of them. See, and we, we ought to be ever thankful to the Lord for his plan to spread the gospel to all the nations. So be thankful that other churches that are, are different than us, that they also desire for people to hear the gospel. Be thankful that other churches in other countries 
are trying to do what we do here, and we're trying to share the, we're trying to share the gospel. We're trying to, to train up men and women to be able to faithfully defend the word. See, it is by the sharing of the gospel that these people heard this. Be grateful for the advancement of the gospel. Be grateful that the Lord decided to change your heart through the sharing or by the sharing of the gospel. Be be thankful that the Lord has given you the gift of salvation. Because if it were not for the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you would not be allowed to have this blessed hope that is promised to all believers. Point number three. Share the gospel. Point three, share the gospel. Colossians chapter one, verses six through eight read, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. See, the sharing of the gospel is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So during the time that Colossians was written, Paul was probably sitting in a Roman jail. And in verse 7, we hear the name Epaphras. Paul says that he's a fellow servant of the gospel. Now, little, no, little is known about Epaphras, and we only read him uh, here in the book of Colossians in Philemon, verse 23, uh, reads, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. That's all we know about Epaphras. So Paul met Epaphras while in prison, and the commentary suggested that Epaphras was, is native to Colossae, and Epaphras has probably converted by Paul on the way to Ephesus. So as Epaphras has shared about the church with Paul. Through Epaphras, it is how Paul has heard how this church is responding to the faith and the love and the hope that we read about. It is what Epaphras is doing that is commendable by Paul. Epaphras is going out and he's sharing the gospel. Epaphras, he, he heard the gospel and he believed the gospel. Now he's going out and he's telling people about the gospel so that they may believe too. Now, you don't need any sort of, any sort of advanced degree or, or formal uh, Bible training or Bible college to share the word with others. It is the truth of the gospel and the working of the Holy Spirit that is going to convict someone. We're actually... All of us, we're actually commanded in Scripture to share the gospel with other people. Turn with me for a moment so we, so we can see this to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 reads, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. A lot of us have probably heard about this verse as, as the apologetic verse. Everyone, everyone always turns to this when any, and anyone mentions anything to do with apologetics. But 
I want us to see how, how this verse here, 1 Peter 3.15, can be broken down by asking really just a few questions. The first question is, well, why do we do it? Why do we share the gospel with others? And the, and the first part reads, to honor Christ the Lord as holy. Why do we share the gospel? To honor Christ the Lord as holy. Well, second part is, okay, well, we know why do we do it. Well, how how do we do it? And the how is the second part. It says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. How do we do it? We share the reason for the hope that is in you. Now the last part of this, the question we can ask ourselves, will what should it look like? Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. See, remember, we are wanting to share the future hope that we as believers have. We honor the Lord when we share the joy that has been granted to us by Him. Now, books and seminars and blog posts and sermons have have been written on the different tactics and techniques and to aid us, help aid us in how we can be effective and communicate in communicating the gospel. But ultimately, what we read here, all we have to do is give a reason for the hope, share the hope that we have. And we do that with gentleness and respect. See, the hard part shouldn't be sharing the, the reason why we have the hope. That should, that should be joyful. We should be over... Like, that should be flowing out of us, right? The hard part is, again, being gentle and respectful to others while we share that hope. Being gentle and respectful while we answer their questions and provide a defense for the gospel. But if we remember that it is the Lord's work that saves us, it is the Lord who gives us a gift that we can never earn, and it is the Lord and to know that only the Lord can change the hearts of an unbeliever it might help us. See, from the text in Colossians, we know that the gospel is spreading throughout the world. People are hearing the world proclaimed, and they are turning to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We need to remember that the gospel is powerful, and it is powerful enough to change hearts. Paul tells them, just as the gospel has been brought to them, it has also been brought to other nations. Now, the advancement of the gospel should encourage us to, and, and remind us of the Great Commission. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20, we read, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this great commission, this does not just apply to Pastor Travis. This does not just apply to myself. This does not apply to deacons. It applies to each and every one of us, whether you are a doctor or a surgeon or an engineer or a stay-at-home mom, uh, a teacher. We ought to be sharing the gospel with all of those around us. 
Now, there's only one way that any person can be forgiven. And only one way that any one person can have this future hope of resting eternally with Jesus Christ. In the message of the gospel, it must be shared with them. God has commissioned the church to go forth and to share the gospel with all the nations. Romans 10, verses 14 through 17, it reads, well, Romans 10, verse 16 through 17, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. People will not put their faith in Christ unless someone shares the gospel with them. Now, if you're a believer here this morning, hear the Lord communicate. See, this means that you must have a high view of the Bible and and you must be desiring to understand and study and read, meditate, pray through the scriptures. Be thankful to the Lord for advancing the gospel and using people like Paul and Timothy and Epaphras to spread the gospel. And be like Paul, Timothy, and Epaphras. Continue to spread the word. Invite people into the family of believers. Now, if you're not a believer here this morning, I urge you to come to Christ today. We believe in Romans 10.13, it reads, For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus Christ, he will forgive you of your sins if you come to him in genuine faith. Believe you need his grace and you need his mercy. Commit yourself to his word and to follow him from this day forward. Join us as we look towards a future hope that is promised to all believers. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the ability to come together and to share your word, God. I ask that you would all give us the hearts of evangelism and the desire to want to share the gospel more and more with others around us, Lord. Give us the the courage to stand up against false teaching and erroneous teaching, Lord. And give us the courage to stand up against those who speak ill of you. Lord, I also pray that for those who are not Christians here this morning, that they will turn to you, God. That they will turn to you and they will honor you as Lord. They'll honor you as king of their lives. Lord, I ask that you just be with us throughout this rest of the week and continue to encourage us and provide for us, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen.